A reading from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the Word, and without the Word, nothing came into being. What came into being through the Word was life, and the life was the light for all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. A man named John was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him everyone would believe in the light. He himself was not the light, but his mission was to testify concerning the light. The true light that shines on all people was coming into the world. The light was in the world, and the world came into being through the light, but the world didn't recognize the light. The light came to his own people, and his own people didn't welcome him, but those who did welcome him, those who believed in his name, he authorized to become God's children, born not from blood nor from human desire or passion, but born from God. The word became flesh and made his home among us. We have seen his glory, glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified about him, crying out, this is the one whom I said, he who comes after me is greater than me because he existed before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. As the law was given through Moses, so grace and truth came into being through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. God, the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made God known. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Now, those congregations and ministers following the church calendar year were afforded two possibilities with gospel scripture lessons on this particular Sunday of the church year. Now, many years, I've chosen to celebrate Epiphany on this particular Sunday, even though it does not actually begin until January 6th, and many churches do that. On Epiphany, Christians remember the Magi, scholarly foreigners from another region who were not Christians, but rather Zoroastrians, as the word Magi implies, who in their own religious practices read the stars and follow the signs until they found the baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph. Now, that sermon is always timely. Imagine that, outsiders finding God within their own religious tradition. This always seems to surprise Christians for some reason. Well, at least some of us. But as the calendar unfolds this year, today, January 5th, is the 12th day of Christmas. Now, and considering the scripture lessons we used this Advent, we heard from Matthew's gospel and we heard from Luke's gospel with their birth narratives, it seemed appropriate to hear from John's gospel on Jesus' beginnings. Mark, by the way, is silent on this topic, the oldest and generally most cut and dried of the four gospels. And the gospel, according to John, does not give a traditional birth story in the same way that Matthew and Luke provide it, but rather the gospel of John begins, as we just read, with a rather, how shall we say, Star Wars-sounding beginning. I mean, did you catch that? I can almost see the words from John 1 in a bold yellowish-orange font scrolling across the starry background just like Star Wars movies begin in a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. 
Can you see the same backdrop for, in the beginning was the word? This author has the notion that there is this universal spirit, this essence of light and life, far too brilliant and wonderful to be contained in just one person's lifetime on earth or to be fully described in human terms that resides with God, that has always been at the center of God's realm, a spark, the inspiration, the divine, if you will, inspiration for creative, loving, redemptive activities, a bright light in a vast, dark cosmos, and that this light, this universal goodness was embodied for Christians by the one called Jesus of Nazareth, born in that tiny, tiny house or manger or stable. In the life of Jesus, John says, the light was present in the world. The scope of this story of beginnings, Jesus's beginnings, from John's gospel starts in the galaxy far, far away, but it doesn't stay there for very long. It quickly moves to earth, a downward motion. And in, even in this story of Jesus's beginnings in John, the most otherworldly, if you will, of the gospels, Jesus is a human being, not an alien invader. He is light in this story, meaning he illuminates what is truly important about everyday, ordinary life and living it well. And he comes not to proclaim a once and for all mandate from on high on cold stone tablets, but up close and in person to show those who will choose to follow him what grace and truth look like when fully grounded and immersed in human activity. Matthew and Luke's gospel tell the tiniest details, but John's gospel attempts to paint this cosmic-sized portrait of the magnitude of this larger-than-life truth. And if you get nothing else from today's sermon, if you're struggling to get back into your New Year's routine, here's your takeaway. You can sleep after this. Are you ready? The glory of God, John wants us to know, is a human being who is fully alive. The glory of God is a human being who is fully alive. And Jesus was fully alive and was a beacon of light and life, not because he was from some other planet, but because he fully embodied light and life in this planet, on this planet, as a human being. And we too are called to embody light and life, my friends. And we do this when we too are fully alive. We do this when we, like Jesus, are fully in touch with our own humanity, and not only our own humanity, but the humanity of every other person as well. And we are a glory to God when we cherish the humanity not only in ourselves, but in each and every single one of us, that sacred gift of personhood that no one can purchase, no one can extinguish, no one can take away. Our humanity is that sacred gift that no matter how distorted, no matter how oppressed, or even how confused we can try and make it, can never be taken away from a single inhabitant of this planet. That's the story, friends, from Genesis to Revelation. We were created in the very image of God, and the glory of God is a human being 
who is fully alive. We often lose sight of this clear, cosmic-sized, yet down-to-earth vision of our gift and our potential here among the muck and the mire of this messy home we've made for ourselves. We allow silly, human-created things like borders between nations to define who is good and who is evil, who should live and who should die, and who should roam the earth in freedom and who should be detained or even separated from their families. We allow human-created labels like Republican or Democrat to come between us, and we believe the worst about one another without actually even speaking to one another in person about the things that we say that, that make us either an elitist snob or a yucky deplorable. Don't get me wrong. There are plenty of political policies and practices that dehumanize other humans and therefore people of faith should oppose. But only humans are the ones on all sides of every single policy or practice. Only humans are the ones we're talking to. People who follow the light and the life of God, as revealed in Jesus of Nazareth, are called to be better than all of this. People who follow the light and life of God as revealed in Jesus are called to see the bigger picture, the God's eye view of this planet, which is both cosmic and yet deeply and essentially personal all at the same time. There are no buts in the Genesis story, well, with one T, sorry, where every human being is created in the divine image, but... There are no one-t-buts here in John's story of Jesus' beginnings either. We have been authorized to carry the light along with all of God's children, and the light is the glory of God and is organic. It's natural. It is the default condition, if you want to use those terms, in each and every human being, but especially evident in those who are fully alive. The glory of God is a human being who is fully alive. Well, how, how can we be sure we're fully alive and not just fooling ourselves? And uh, How can we be fully alive and not see the divine image in others is a better question. It is our loyalty and deep respect of this universal light and life that is present in every single living person that should cause us to experience a sense of loss and grieving when our sisters and brothers in Australia today are fighting for their very lives, even as fires burn their homelands. This deep sense of reverence for human life knows no national border and does not reside only on American soil, my friends. It is our allegiance and deep regard for this universal light and life that is present in every living person that should cause us to grieve even the death of someone like Iranian General Qasem Salami. Our government tells us he was evil and needed to be assassinated. And while he may have carried out evil acts, and I don't know all the details, and been plotting more, God at the same time reminds us that he was a human being. His wife would remind us that she was a, he was a husband. His children would remind us that he was their father. And like many U.S. soldiers, he was carrying out the orders given him by commanding officers. You see, America doesn't own the light and life of God or the humanity of every other person or nation in the world. 
So it must be with humility, not arrogance, we should ponder the rightness or wrongness of things like war, which, by the way, is the result of failed diplomacy. The often for-profit conveniently used tool of partisan political leaders seeking to gain the upper hand that puts the greatest gift any of us have ever been given, life itself, at risk. We should approach it with humility and not arrogance. There's a higher calling for those of us who endeavor to follow in the footsteps of the one called, by the way, the Prince of Peace. This calling beckons us to raise our sights higher than the cloud of dust that seems to stay stirred up by all the bickering and petty fighting for nationalistic causes. We have a responsibility, yes, as citizens of this nation to our nation, but for those of us who seek to follow in the footsteps of the Prince of Peace, we have a higher calling, a calling to all of humanity as followers of Jesus that runs deeper and rises even higher. The glory of God is a human being, any human being fully alive. A human being fully alive works and lives and sweats and even dies to build a world where the inherent dignity of, and humanness of every human is given an equal opportunity to flourish. Now, there are things about one another, even in this room, let alone across the world, that we may never completely understand or get. There are things that will always, no matter who we're talking about, annoy us, bother us, irritate us, divide us, even put us at odds with one another. Becoming fully alive does not mean these things disappear. Becoming fully alive as God intends for each and every human being following in the way of Jesus does not mean that our challenges will vanish or even get easier. It does not mean that wars will cease. It does not mean that immigration challenges will go away or that magically tomorrow Republicans and Democrats will wake up and decide to get along. Being fully human in the middle of all this struggle means not forgetting that those we may oppose like us, are also unconditionally loved by God. However imperfect their ideology or politics or policies, however evil or monstrous they may seem to us when we're mad, regardless of which flag they fly or which side of a border they happen to live on, the moment we lose sight of another's humanity, we have lost a piece of our own. And when one of us is diminished, the glory of God, is diminished because the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Jesus showed us that. Now, 2020 is here, and it will present us with a myriad of opportunities to continue this wonderful, terrible, beautiful, yet often tragic thing we call life. 2020 will present us with opportunities to retreat into the insecurities of isolationism, which is the lie that says we can at least make sure we are well cared for by taking care of us for and no more, you know. Or in 2020, we can choose to live into the fullness of this God-sized, God-shaped dream for the world, which says that we belong to one another and cannot be fully human in isolation from one another, that we need each other, even those folks that just bug the heck out of us. Desmond Tutu put it so eloquently. He said this, My humanity is bound up in yours, for we can only be human together. 
We are different precisely in order to realize our need of one another. So, dear ones, do not believe the lies that the world tries to tell you about your neighbors, here, there, or anywhere. It is true that some of our neighbors are misguided. It is true that some of our neighbors make terrible and, in extreme cases, immoral or illegal choices. It is true that not everyone supports a way of living or public policies that enhance the freedom of human beings to fully express who they are and to have what they need even in order to feed their families. We should, as people of faith, stand up for the truth. We should stand against evil and injustice and oppression in whatever forms they may present themselves. Those are our baptismal vows, folks. We should stand for the inherent dignity of each and every human being, but when others do not stand with us, my friends, we must make certain we are opposing their ideas and not their humanity. There is a difference. This is not a call for just playing nice. Don't hear this as a call uh, for civility. This is a call for dignity. This is a call for humanity. This is a plea from John's gospel to people of the Christian faith and by this preacher to not forget what the gospel of John's story of Jesus' beginnings have to teach us, that the glory of God is a human being, any and every human being, fully alive. Matthew's birth narrative showed us Joseph's dream. Luke's birth narrative showed us Mary's passion and commitment. And John... John reminds us that our humanity, while often mired in conflict and division and confusion and struggle, is something holy. It is something divine. Now, I will leave you with the words of one of my heroes, wise author and Presbyterian minister, now 93 years old, Reverend Frederick Beekner. He said it this way, if we are to love our neighbors... Before doing anything else, we must see our neighbors with our imagination as well as our eyes, that is to say like artists. We must see not just their faces, but the life behind and within their faces. So, whether in the faces of the Australians frantically trying to save their homes from burning, or the face of an Iranian general, or the faces of children separated from their families along the U.S. border with this crisis we have, the faces of the Republican or the Democrat whose ideas annoy or disgust you, or the face of that pesky neighbor, I might know something about this, who parks at the end of your driveway and makes it a challenge to get your car in and out every day. Let us cling to the divine gift of humanity inherent to every single human being, the gay ones, the straight ones, the American ones, the foreign ones, the rich ones, the poor ones, the Christian ones, the Muslim ones, the black ones, the brown ones, even the white ones, for the glory of God is a human being fully alive, and the more fully alive human beings there are, the brighter the glory is. Amen.